breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. And the doctor's back in the house. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to my podcast. Welcome to Reform This. It is always an honor to be with you. Thank you for coming back. Another week has passed. If you're new, I hope you're looking for a voice of reason, a voice that takes on the Islamists and makes sure they're not the only voice in the Muslim community. And I know you're getting sick and tired of the Islamists. I certainly am. If you don't know what an Islamist is, tune in. By the end of a few episodes, you will know exactly what an Islamist is. As good as you understand what communists, socialists, and other political ideologies is, Islamism is a theopolitical ideology. And every week I cull the media, pick out the things that not only people should be talking about, but for our domestic and global security, if you understood, if we understood, we'd be doing a lot better and we'd be a lot safer. This week... We're going to touch on a few topics, follow up uh, an issue from last week. You know, last week I told you about CARE. He had a little primer, primer on the Council on American-Islamic Relations. And we're also going to talk about American world dominance. Why are candidates still calling for an end of all wars? You have Tulsi Gabbard and others constantly talking about uh, she's going to be the candidate of, well, maybe she won't be a candidate anymore. She didn't make the debates, I hear. But... She's going to be the candidate of the end of endless wars. How, how is it? Now, we're in our third year of the Trump administration. He campaigned on taking us out of wars. He's not entered any new wars. And in fact, his secretary of defense left him saying that it was because of Syria. Now, we're learning because of recent interviews that it may have been other things also but uh, he's not saying, but he's trying to sell books. But at the end of the day, we're not entering any new wars, and yet this is the topic. So we'll talk about that. What is American dominance all about? And last, your Muslim reform movement leaders, you may not know all of us, but hopefully you will, are going to Minnesota. We're going to Ilhan, Ilhan Omar's district and we're going to have a town hall meeting. We get a sense that they're just starving for a little bit of a conversation to answer those appalling questions. Remember the audio I played for you a couple episodes ago? We are going to, on September 10th, as some of us are going to be there for an event on September 11. I'll be there with CPAC. Not at the town hall, but a separate event with CPAC Minnesota. And on the 10th, we're going to the University of Minnesota to have a conversation. And I think people will be refreshed to realize that the Islamists do not control or dominate our community. And you know what? There's a Muslim activist in Minnesota who invited us, who's hosting us. So we'll talk about that. First, CARE put out a press release. This is a good follow-up to last week's primer. CARE puts out a press release with the title, with the title, we are proud to partner with the U.S. Census Bureau to ensure American Muslims are fairly and accurately counted in the 220 census. 
2020 census. Executive Director Nihad Awad said in a CARE News release, the investigative project on terrorism, Steve Emerson reported a few days ago that this was breaking news, and it certainly is odd, isn't it? And thanks to Steve's work, I was also interviewed for this piece, and I didn't even know about it until they showed me the press release. I don't follow every press release that the Islamist lobby in America releases. But what's bizarre is, so wait a minute, they are supposedly a civil rights organization. They are supposedly an organization to protect the rights of Muslims, and yet they're doing a project with the Census Bureau. A Census Bureau which, mind you, cannot, should not, and does not ask us about our religion. It does not. It asks you about race. I don't fill it in. I don't think it's the government's business to, to ask me what my race is, but I get it. They, they're trying to assist certain segments of the population, find out if they're underserved or not. But religion is not part of the census questions. So what is a religious civil rights organization doing partnering with them? And now they they did respond and said that they are working to ensure that all communities in various neighborhoods are served. Give me a break. The only community they have any relation with are the Islamist segment of the Muslim community. And they're apologists. Now, as I told the investigative project on terrorism, beyond, beyond the pale of the fact that they're not even an appropriate partnership for any government work, beyond the fact that they're basically Hamas sympathizers, beyond the fact that they've been connected to major leaders that have directly radicalized terror operations such as Siraj Wahaj's children who's on the board of advisors of care such as Ismail Royer such as Holy Land Foundation boards and others that are now serving time for terrorists all that set aside if you can the Council on American Islamic Relations what is their business in helping the census? And do any religious groups help them? Now, you look on the website of the Census Bureau, and it does say that it does partner with some religious groups that might be doing charity work inside neighborhoods, etc. But this is a, a viciously political organization. This is a group that has hit list of, now they'll say it's an ideological hit list, of Islamophobes that they claim are anti-Muslim bigots but they use the word Islamophobe in order to prevent any criticism of Islam. So their primary mantra, the raison d'etre, is striking fear into the hearts of Americans who are critical of Islamists, critical of Hamas operatives, critical of apologists for Islamist movements from the Muslim Brotherhood to Turkey's AKP to Iranian Khomeinists. On and on. So why is the Census Bureau partnering with a religious organization at all? And 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 more importantly, CARE's announcement, so supposedly they claim that those of us who say that there's reform necessary, that the communities are separatists, that often the, the they are 
separated in a radicalization process that separates them from integration, from understanding American identity, American constitutional law, etc. All these things they reject out of hand and say that there is no problem of integration, that they are well integrated. So if that's true, doesn't their partnership saying that it's necessary for them to partner to make sure that American Muslims are well counted? Doesn't that then perpetuate the stereotype that Muslims are not engaged in society? It's supposed to count all Americans as equals, not as faith groups. The notion that Muslims need to be encouraged to participate in the national census treats an entire population as naive immigrants. They claim we're well integrated, but if that claim is true, why is this project even necessary? Yes, it's important that Muslim Americans participate in the census, but CARES engagement and stimulus of activism of Muslims with their society is all about their agenda. Number one being anti-Israel. Number two being weakening of America. We saw Ilhan Omar this week put commentary in her district that she wants the UN to monitor the American-Mexico border just like they do other refugee crises around the world. And, oh, they've done so well at that. They couldn't even remove chemical weapons from Syria appropriately. They couldn't even monitor the use of chemical weapons in their job that's supposed to deal with true human rights and genocidal wars. And now with reps, with friends like these, who needs enemies? Ilhan Omar wants the UN to come into one of the most peaceful democracies on the planet. Because her lens of viewing American policy is not through American interests, it's not through American values, but rather through the Islamist theopolitical lens. And by the way, CARE is not only an inappropriate partner for anything, the FBI said so themselves in a letter that said that they should not be partnering with the FBI with the FBI because they cannot condemn Hamas. They don't know how to condemn Hamas, and they are apologists for radical terror organizations. That's a letter that Senator Kyle from Arizona at the time had asked the Bureau to produce as to why they are inappropriate partners. And as such, it basically became standard practice that they not be included. And in fact, members of Congress from the floor of the House have testified in speeches, etc., that it is inappropriate that certain segments of the government, such as, I believe, the Oklahoma office of the FBI and others, did some activities with care and shouldn't and should be sanctioned as a result. And to this day, that letter remains standing, and there's never been a contrary statement from the Bureau or Homeland Security, even under the Obama administration, that was exceedingly close to the Islamists. Mainly Iran, though. Not necessarily the Sunni side. CARE's prosecutors, as IPT notes, have identified that the government, identified by the government at trial as a participant in ongoing, ultimately unlawful conspiracy to support a designated terrorist organization. A conspiracy from which CARE never withdrew as an unindicted co-conspirator. CARE has never acknowledged its Palestinian committee connections or tried to argue that it moved away from that support. 
Its leaders refused to condemn Hamas, often angrily. Same thing with Hezbollah. They refused to condemn them. In 2014, Yahad said the Jewish state of Israel is the biggest threat to world peace and security. CARE's LA chapter director compared Israel to ISIS and said that IDF soldiers were no different than ISIS soldiers. This is a partner for the Census Bureau? These are radical terrorists in training. And we see that there is a slippery slope, a conveyor belt. They may condemn terrorism, they may condemn Al-Qaeda, but when the San Bernardino terrorists were arrested and the media started to ask about their family members, did they know anything or, or, or what happened, the parents, within two to three hours after the media hit with the names, CARE had a press conference with the parents saying that they knew nothing and they were American patriots. So how is it that the parents knew of the San Bernardino terrorists who were Salafi jihadists knew to reach out to CARE? They weren't calling our American Islamic Forum for Democracy. They weren't calling any of the reform movement organizations. No, they were calling the Islamists who jumped at the opportunity to defend the parents as being innocent, wonderful parents whose kids just all of a sudden became jihadists. Just like Siraj Wahaj, their board advisor, and also on the board of ISNA, said, you know what, my my son may have started a cell in New Mexico, but I told the FBI where they were so that my grandson could be saved. And by the way, one grandson died. And he wasn't innocent. He's been talking about separatist Islamization of America for decades. Just didn't talk about a terror vehicle for that or a means for that. So, ladies and gentlemen, when an Islamist group works with the Census Bureau, you should be you should be alarmed. It's not innocent. It's about controlling various aspects. Islamism is about making Islam a theopolitical way of life. You inculcate yourself into education, into the textbooks, into census, into counting, into politics, into traffic laws, into boards into non-profits, into Congress, into the police, interfaith boards, media. You get it. That's what Islamists do. If they were a majority, they form a country and call it an Islamic state. When they're a minority, they collectivize the minority to be a powerful lobby in order to empower foreign Islamist powers against the non-Islamic power that they live in, i.e. insurgency, and they also collectivize their faith community as one entity rather than a diverse entity. So I think week to week you're starting to get the clue. We're starting to get a clue of what Islamists are, what they do, and how they operate. Next, I, I want to talk to you about this. There's a Quincy Institute. And I think President Quincy Adams would be rolling over in his grave knowing what these anti-American act and I, I will clearly I clearly believe they're anti-American activists. Treaty Parsi, 
leaves the North American Iranian Council, NIAC, to form with three, four million dollars, something like that, this new Quincy Institute. And it has lofty goals of sort of uh, articulating what Quincy Adams' policies and positions were. Andrew Basevich, I think his name is, the co-founder of the Institute for Responsible Statecraft based in Washington, says in a piece in the Boston Globe this week, which really bothered me deeply, and I'll tell you why in a sec. He says, in his famous 1821 Independence Day address, Secretary of State John Quincy Adams warned Americans against going abroad in search of monsters to destroy. Doing so, he said, would plunge the United States beyond the power of extrication and all the wars of interest and intrigue of individual avarice, envy, and ambition, which assume the colors and usurp the standard of freedom. And he then says, Adams anticipated the situation that the United States finds itself in today. And who do they pick to help head this? the biggest apologist for the greatest enemy of the United States we've had in the last 50 to 100 years, Iran. Treaty Parsi, an apologist, an activist for the Iranian lobby who's lost lawsuits in which they tried to silence his antagonist that basically said he was an apologist for the Khomeinists. Basevich says in this piece, future scholars will enshrine the period between the fall of the Berlin Wall in November 1989 and the presidential election of November 16 as the era of imagined U.S. global primacy. History itself had seemingly conferred on America the status of sole superpower, called upon to transform the world in its own image. And it says, the United States today finds itself strategically adrift. And then goes on to give the old anti-Trump stuff about bluster and grandstanding, etc., etc. But then they say it's not just Trump. It's sort of a culmination of the previous 25 years. So I think James Carafano gave a great summary response to this and and basically all those people that decry endless wars you know beware first of all this quincy institute and and realize that they're abusing the history of quincy it's not about quincy it's about weakening and cutting us off at the knees so that american exceptionalism can be destroyed and our enemies can grow in the name of independence and a lack of interference when in fact to many of us it's Yes, we learned some lessons from military engagement with our enemies. I believe they were valid wars, but I don't believe that the mission was successful or that we should have had as aggressive or as ambitious a mission when going into Iraq or Afghanistan or elsewhere. Clearly, we failed based on the measures of the mission that we had set out to do. But America's leadership role in the place America's leadership role in its place today cannot be abandoned. 
because into that vacuum will fill Iran, will fill China, will fill Russia, will fill the Saudis, will fill tyrannies on the planet. 70% of the world lives under some form of tyranny. And if America does not lead, and yes, we've made many mistakes, but for candidates after a Trump administration, which has ratcheted back and actually given some of us whiplash about the role of America in the world, but what it hasn't changed with the Trump administration, to its credit, has made our goals more mater- more realistic. And more palpable. So those decrying America's endless wars, as Jim Carafano of the Heritage Foundation very articulately writes, he says the U.S. is a global power with global interest responsibility. That's not a choice. It's just who we are. Jim says no one today is arguing that the U.S. can childproof the world to make America safe. But walking away from problems doesn't work well either. The Obama team demonstrated that amply. They ended the war in Iraq and ISIS flourished. They ended the war in Afghanistan. We got the resurgence of the Taliban. They reset with Russia, produced a war in Ukraine. And he doesn't mention Syria here, but I would add the horrific genocide and chemical weapons use and... and blind advance of the Assad regime upon its people and Iran into Iraq all are part of that same illness that the Obama administration showed. Obama stood by China as they moved to make the South Sea, South China Sea its own and North Korea's Kim built out his nuclear arsenal. Trump has tried to build out a metal ground. He isn't interested in being the world's babysitter, but he's willing to stand up and demonstrate sufficient resolve to protect America's interest. He's finished off the caliphate without starting any new wars. So where's the endless wars, Jim asks, appropriately. It's not about endless wars. What it's about is weakening and decapitating America's position in the world. Weakness and indifference, as he says, do not deter aggression and exploitation. They invite it. And I think that's the difference, is that those calling for an end to endless wars, they want an end to American influence, period. And for me, your humble Muslim correspondent here, if there's one message you get from this podcast, it's that just like a football game, you've got one team on offense, one team on defense. The offense in the world... If we, if we retract even beyond neutrality into perpetual defense and withdrawal back into our end zone, they will start coming for us. Who's coming for us? The offense are the Islamists. They're spreading mosques. They're spreading Islamist organizations, Islamist movements, separatist movements, radicalizing our youth. And they have a constituency that could ultimately be a quarter of the world's population. Now, the 30 to 40% of that and you do the math out of 1.7 billion, 30 to 40% of that is hundreds and hundreds of millions of Islamists that exist today that are advancing their ideas into the West with groups like CARE and ISNA and other Muslim Brotherhood and Khomeinist devotees. 
So if we're not on offense, and I think that's what the difference is, is President Trump might not be articulating as offensive as I'd like him to be when it comes to American liberty and democracy, but defending the rights of individuals globally and standing by our values is something he's done heads and shoulders above what President Obama ever did. Clearly, a position of strength is something that President Trump speaks from. You might not like the way he articulates it or his mannerisms or some of his self-absorption, but at the end of the day, it has served our interests and our security far better. than anything weakness or appeasement did, no matter how silver-tongued President Obama might have been. President Trump, as Jim Carafano says, has rebalanced U.S. interests. It has not brought war, much less endless war. So this is sort of the new position. I would add to Trump sort of 2.0 that... No, we, I agree. We, we should not be sending our military. You can't defeat people militarily into democracy and sharing your values. However, I do think we need an offense, and, and that offense should be the advancement of liberty, free markets, the, the defeat, just like we're defeating socialism here. We need to defeat it abroad. We should not work with those who don't share our values. The way he's approaching China, why don't we approach the economies of Saudi Arabia? of Iran, which he's doing actually, Qatar, Egypt, the same way to, to, to take the emperor's clothes off and say not only are we partners with them against ISIS and radicals as that has been rekindled, but we want to see liberation of their economies and their people, and I think President Trump could do that. Obviously, there's a short-term loss there when it comes to the war on terror, but that's why these tyrannies feed the war on terror, because as long as that exists, the Islamist groups grow, jihadists grow, the West will not care about what they're doing internally, politically, economically, or socially and culturally. So I think that needs to change. Last this week, folks, I want to tell you about a little function we're going to have at the University of Minnesota. And that function, that function is called, you ready? It's a town hall meeting, the University of Minnesota, called Honoring Islam by Taking on the Appalling Questions. What's the appalling question? Remember when Congressman Ilhan Omar was at on July 23rd, a conference of the Muslim Caucus Education Collective. As if you could better define what an Islamist conference is, but that's what they're called, Muslim Caucus Education Collective. And she was asked by Ani Zonefeld, the head of the Muslim for Progressive Values, about what she recommended for speaking out better against FGM, female genital mutilation. And Ilhan Omar responds by berating her by reprimanding her about being sick and tired of being asked appalling questions and then falsely claiming that she's done a lot for that cause. And people can point to one or two votes that she might have ended up making, but she certainly wasn't a big advocate against FGM. She certainly wasn't a leader in her community, which has a 
unbelievable rate, if not 90% plus rate of female genital mutilation among women in the Somali refugee community. And she's been horrifically silent. No, her first speech from the floor of the House was about helping transgender rights. And that might be something people care about. But things she could impact, even the Atlantic, the leftist Atlantic, talked about Ilhan Omar's opportunity that was denied by her bizarre response. So, we want to go to the backyard of Ilhan Omar at the University of Minnesota thanks to a courageous undergraduate American Muslim who's invited us. We're going to have a conference at the University of Minnesota, a town hall meeting. We're going to be opening it to the public on September 10th, 2019 at 7 p.m. Look it up on our website at AIFdemocracy.org, AIFdemocracy.org. If you know folks in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and the area that can be there, have them join us. We're going to have a town hall conversation. Discuss the what are the appalling questions. Send them into my contact, my Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I Jasser, or at Reform This Radio, Twitter handle, and we'll talk. We'll add them to the list of questions. It's not appalling. We think it honors Islam by taking on the appalling questions. I think being contrite as Muslims realizing, accepting and admitting to the West that we have huge problems that are the deepest cause of radicalization. It's not simply psychotic issues. No, these are theocratic, oppressive ideas that need to be addressed, misogynistic ideas that need to be dealt with. That contrition admits that these are not appalling questions. They're the central questions to what we need to do. Take part in this dynamic conversation. We hope to tape it. Maybe we'll even have it on Facebook Live for people who aren't able to be there. Find us at Facebook at American Islamic Forum for Democracy. Find me at Facebook at MZ Jasser, M-Z-J-A-S-S-E-R. And this town hall meeting, we'll see. CNN covered Ilhan Omar's response when she berated a fellow Muslim and it went viral. Nobody criticized her. I mean, it is unbelievable, the bigotry of low expectations, where you have a congresswoman who at almost every every level has demonstrated corruption. Ideologically, she doesn't confront Islamism, misogyny, or any of the core issues that really she could have an impact on. Campaign finance. She had to pay back $5,000 she used to pay for her own taxes, and now there's court evidence in a divorce of a firm that received almost $250,000 from her campaign that Tim Millette, who's being divorced by his wife, his wife said that the other woman was Ilhan Omar. So there's personal familial corruption. Anti-Semitism. Support of the BDS movement, which is a horrifically anti-Semitic movement that basically calls for the economic end and destruction of Israel. Marriage, immigration fraud, legitimate questions, even even recently discussed in the Star Tribune that she has yet to answer about her marriage to possibly her brother. Yes. 
So on and on. The fact that these things are ignored to me is a bigotry of low expectations. You saw a senator from Minnesota, Al Franken, who had to resign because of a photo of him making a gesture in front of a sleeping woman that he spread. He spreads that photo around the world and has to resign. His party calls on him to resign. We see now a congresswoman because, not only because she's a feminist, but I believe it's because she wears a hijab and is a Muslim victim, that she's not being held to even one iota, one iota of the standards that Al Franken, who was a comedian, was held to. Now, if that's not bigotry of low expectations, I don't know what is. We in the Muslim community, some of us are, are appalled by her behaviors. Supposedly a conservative Orthodox, even ultra-Orthodox practitioner of Islam is behaving in ways that are financially, personally, culturally abhorrent, and the media is not taking her to task. The story actually is conservative obsession with her. When in fact she's the one who's a train wreck that continues to make media. Her response about the marriage questions and the affair was, it's stupid. That was her response. We can do better than that. We can do better than Ilhan Omar. We can do better than CARE. And we're going to have a town hall meeting about that, talk about it, and converse. So if you have any questions that you think we should be talking about at the town hall, please send them to me. Email us at muslimreformmovement at gmail.com, muslimreformmovement at gmail.com. If you want to come to the event or you want to contact us and join us at Anderson Hall at the University of Minnesota, 7 p.m. on September 10, 2019. It's always great to talk to all of you. I hope you had a good time. I love the conversation and hope you're enjoying your Labor Day weekend with your family. Here's to another week. God bless. Zudi Jasper, reform this on Blaze Podcast Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.